Welcome back to another edition of the Away Days podcast. This is Nate joining me as always from, not sure, I can't really tell based on your, your FaceTime background where, where you are this time, Lay, where are you? Oh, I'm still at the grandparents' house. You don't see the pears hanging in the background. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's very much a uh, grandparents' house decoration with the framed drawings of fruit. <laughs> gotta gotta love that. Um, but anyway, welcome back. Uh, glad to, glad you're joining us here. And I want to start here, Laith, with something I never thought I'd say. We're starting a podcast with. We're going to talk some MLB here, just briefly. I know that if you're here, you're here because of our football and and soccer content. Well, honestly, you're probably not even here for that. I truth be told, I don't know why you're here. But if you're here, you're not here for baseball. But Lath and I, as we've discussed in previous pods, are from the southeast, both from Georgia, actually, and our Atlanta Braves, two games up in the NLCS over the Dodgers. Lath, you've been watching it a good bit more than me. I'm, I mean, I keep up with the Braves. Like they're definitely my team in the MLB, but Major League Baseball ranks pretty mid on my list of sports leagues that I really keep up with. So, you know, I watched a lot during the summer, but once football season starts, I like really check out. But just. You know, how cool is it, I guess, that, you know, not to jinx anything, but, you know, two games up, you know, that's what, two games away from going to the World Series. That's pretty cool. I, I can't really remember the last time the Braves did that. I guess like 90, like in the 90s, I think. Yeah, I think it was like 96 or something. But, you know, this this has been a Braves team. I've been watching them for a while. They really looked bad kind of going in. They had Acuna got hurt. You know, Azuna had the unfortunate incident with his wife early on. So it just looked like there wasn't going to be much of a, a competitive year for us but you know GM got some things turned around made some moves and we're in a pretty good spot I know the last two games have been uh, both of more walk-offs uh, the first one was really the one that we needed to win and they pitched a lot of their relievers didn't really see a big dog up on on the mound and I'd hope we take care of that one but the second one was against Scherzer who if you don't know baseball he's he's kind of a beast so getting that win that was really big and that puts us in a really good position going into the away game uh, at the Dodgers Going into the away day, yeah. yeah, the away day, yes, sir. See what you did there, yeah. Well, again, I, I mean, I've been to a handful of Braves games in the past couple of years, probably like four or five. Um, again, being, being from Georgia, nowhere really is all that far from Atlanta unless you just live way down um, near the Florida border. But, but, yeah, excited, excited to have the Braves um, doing pretty. I mean, carrying the torch for the Atlanta franchises here. Yeah, um, Atlanta United did it for a little bit, if you count that, um, which a lot of Georgians do not. So, <laughs> um, so just cool, cool to see the Braves up there. But with that said, chop on, gonna move on to where do you want to start? You want to start soccer or, or football today? Uh, gotta say, watched a lot more football than soccer. So why don't we go ahead and start there? All right, then let's start with what was a bit of a quieter week in college. Well, at least I thought it was going to be going into it. Um, you had game day at Georgia and Kentucky basically because there wasn't a whole lot else better. I mean, I don't think ideally game day goes to a game that's a 20-plus point spread. But they did, and the Dogs stay number one, rolling over then number 11 Kentucky. Not sure how far they dropped in the new poll released yesterday. But Dogs roll, remain number one. Um, not a ton else really to say. I wish there was kind of more that I could get up on the soapbox of Georgia football and and, and brag a little more here. But they just really uh, took care of business, played great defense. Didn't cover, though, so that breaks their streak of full game. Um, they were undefeated against the spread in full games so far this year, but nope, we're not able to cover 22 thanks to a nice backdoor late garbage time TD for, for Kentucky. So apologies uh, if that hurts you at all. I know it didn't hurt you late, but mm. anyone out there, <laughs> um, I certainly didn't take them. But anyway... Other shakeups in the top ten, though. So, number two, Iowa. They get the number two beat out of them by Purdue. I don't know if you saw Purdue's yeah, uh, admin saw on Twitter. Um, <laughs> which <clears throat> brings up a funny point, because didn't they beat, when they beat Ohio State a few years ago, wasn't Ohio State number two as well? Yeah, I think you're right. I had not thought about that, but I think you are right. I remember seeing a lot of stuff on that. Yeah, I was just talking to somebody at work today, and they brought that up, and they didn't have the stat handy, and I didn't bother to look it up, but they said... You know, they, they saw somewhere that Purdue actually has a pretty freaky good record against number two teams, like, in recent <laughs> years, um, which is, like, oddly specific, I know. But, um, so Iowa goes down, fraud confirmed. I was I was really salty. You texted me in the middle of the day um, 
talking about that game, and I was like, yeah, I was really hoping Iowa would have would have kept it going because I, as a Georgia fan, who you know, knock on wood, are already looking forward um, to playoff matchups potentially. And so I really don't think I was that good of a team as they've shown. So I was really hoping they would be the team to somehow come out of the Big Ten so that Georgia could come in and beat them 72 to nothing in the playoff. But I guess, Lath, I don't. I know we had the discussion a few weeks ago about who is the best team in the Big Ten. I don't think either of us said Iowa. But, I mean, were you ever really bought in on this Hawkeye team? Because I, I admit I thought they were better than this. I didn't think they were great, but I didn't see this loss coming. No, nah, I was I was never big on the Hawkeyes, and it's it's for the reasons that I said earlier. There's no offense, no offense with this team whatsoever. They're running the old school kind of uh, power eye formation and not doing much with it. I think Petrus threw like four interceptions by the end of this game. Uh, granted, two of those were in garbage to, or kind of just desperation heaves, but still, it's just an offense that never really got going against other teams. And then Purdue just really exposed it and took advantage of it on Saturday. Yeah, so they, I think they dropped outside the top 10 in the polls um, with that loss, which that's a big, big drop for the Hawkeyes. It's funny, I, I just now remembered. Um, so after Georgia, after the Alabama loss last week, coming to work and a guy that happens to be a Hawkeye fan where I work was like, hey, how about us, number one and number two? And I distinctly <laughs> said like, yeah, we'll see how long that lasts. And it turns out it did not, uh, did not last very long for them. But um so yeah, tough, tough result for them. And then elsewhere in the top ten, now the new number two, Cincinnati. They keep marching with a big win over UCF. Granted, at this point in the season, that really wasn't the matchup that I think we were all hoping it would be preseason um, with UCF. I think they already had a couple losses going into that. Trying to find that score, yeah. So UCF at Cincinnati. Cincinnati wins fifty-six to twenty-one. So again, I don't really want to get too deep in the Cincinnati discussion, but their path to the playoff is now very clear. Um, I don't think they'll play another team, um, even the quality of UCF going forward, which, you know, isn't, is like, that's saying something, you know? Um, yeah, but, you know, yeah. Looking, looking at their schedule kind of down the line, they really don't have any real challengers up until I think it's week 11 or 12. They play SMU, who is also currently undefeated. Uh, the Mustangs looking all right. I don't want to say don't sleep on them because – then I'll jinx them like I did to BYU. So I'll just let that sit where it is, and hopefully something will come of it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Elsewhere in the top ten, big week for the Oklahoma schools. And I know you're like strangely partial to Oklahoma State, so I'll let you. <laughs> I'll let you talk a little bit about about your pokes there, and maybe explain why that is. I don't exactly remember why you like them a little bit, but uh, um, start with OK State though. Big fourth quarter comeback, beat Texas. Now they're inside, I think, yeah, they're number eight now, if I'm recalling correctly. I'm having issues with the Wi-Fi here, so basically kind of having to go just off the show notes where I don't have as much information. But I think they're number eight, and yet they're somehow catching seven points on the road at Iowa State next week. I know that's a that's a gambling thing. That's not necessarily your forte, Lath. But, I mean, are we believers in OK State? And if we are, I think they shouldn't be seven-point underdogs against this Cyclones team. Yeah, you know, I, I wasn't a believer in this team going into it. Uh, I thought that they struggled with some teams that they really should have put out of their misery early on. But, you know, playing against Texas, they they had somewhat of a defense holding a Longhorns offense that usually is pretty high-powered to, I think, 24 points by the end of the day. Not not too shabby. Um, so I'm, I don't know if I – obviously, I don't think that they're going to be a playoff team, even though they're undefeated. I think they're going to fall before then. But I am hoping that they're going to maybe give some trouble to Oklahoma at some point because this, you know, the Oklahoma team, I know I know we'll talk a little bit about the quarterback deal that's been going on there, but I'm hoping that that can be a game where maybe we'll see them slip up later on and keep them out of the playoffs. But it'll be interesting to see how that kind of pans out. Yeah, those two have definitely separated themselves, at least at this point really in the past couple of weeks, as being the two best teams in the Big 12. And that's as much – about them playing well is, is also like everybody else really just not having a good year at all really like I think Baylor's still kind of hanging around the fringes of being ranked yeah um but again Texas they I think they were number 25 going into that game now that that's by no means a a shameful loss to lose even though I do think Texas was favored actually yeah um but they'll definitely drop out of the top 25 so yeah it's all it's all in the state of Oklahoma. Um, the, the playoff hopes rest on one of them for sure. And I'm not sure if they're in the same side of that conference now. Um, I think they are. I but, 
Are there even sides in the Big 12 any, anymore? Maybe there's not. Yeah. I have no idea, honestly. I think, yeah, I think you're right. I think it's just best two records play each other, which means we could potentially see, you know, obviously we got that, that OU-OK State rivalry coming up at the end of the year and then potentially have them play again in the Big 12 title game. So that could bring in a whole other Pandora's box of stuff with that, if that happening. But let's talk OU, though. So they get a big win, um, prove that the Texas win, at least for now, was not a fluke. They go and win. Let's see if I can find the score here. 52-31 to 31 at home against TCU. Of course, giving up 31 to TCU isn't exactly what you're looking for. But then again, Big 12, that's kind of what they do. Um, but what do you think of this quarterback, though, Lathan? They've obviously settled on on the backup. Williams is his last name, right? Yeah, um, Caleb Williams. Caleb Williams. So I saw a TikTok on Saturday of, of – of, Oklahoma student kind of filming the reaction when the starting lineups were announced on the video board and when it was his name and not Rattlers, everybody went crazy. Um, <laughs> that's definitely the guy people want to get behind. But I'll ask you two ridiculous questions and get progressively more ridiculous as we go. But first off, do, under Caleb Williams, for you, is Oklahoma a legitimate national championship contender because I think we already thought they're probably going to end up in the playoff somehow and still get their ass beat by a Georgia and Alabama maybe a Cincinnati but do you think this is a different Oklahoma team that is capable of surpassing those expectations that we typically apply to them uh no I don't think I would go so far as to say that I would say that the offense is a lot more consistent a lot more transformed just because guys seem to want to play for Williams and he adds that other element being able to run on the ground um but I think the defense is going to be the thing that really prevents them from taking that kind of key spot and assuming that they're going to be able to compete for a championship. Like you, you mentioned, 31 points against TCU, even for Big 12, that's just not great. So a better team, but not one that I would take seriously if they were to make the playoffs. And then definitely the ridiculous question, but it's got to be asked because nobody else is taking the reins. Where is Caleb Williams in terms of a Heisman candidate at this point? Oh, I – you know, it's it's difficult because this is only his second week playing and only his first full week. So I don't think that you could seriously consider him a Heisman candidate until he puts together a little bit more of a body of work. He's still got about half the season to do that. So we may see some things, but uh, I, I don't know. I think it's going to be real difficult at him for this point to get himself in that conversation. And I think it's probably going to require them to win out, which could happen. But, you know, like I said, the Oklahoma State team's looking like it might be scarier than we think. So... I don't know if that's something that I could entertain at the moment. I'll say I think if Oklahoma wins out, or honestly, if they just make the playoff, whether that happens with them having one loss, I don't know if it can or will, but if they make the playoff, I think Williams at least goes to, do they even go to New York anymore? But he'll, he'll be a finalist, I think, if, if they make the playoff, just because they are a completely different team under him. And I think it's more to do with, again, nobody else. Like I think technically, according to Vegas, Matt Corral is still the favorite. And, like, can you realistically see him winning it? I yeah. can't. Like, you just have to be on more of a winning team that Ole Miss, I think, is going to end up being. Um, yeah, I, th- I think that's fair. I think if, if, if the Ole Miss were to win out, then you could definitely do it with the only loss being Bama. Um, but, yeah, you're right. If they end up the way that Ole Miss normally ends up, I don't think that you can give it to him. And even, you know, Bijan Robinson, a really talented running back at Texas, who's been putting up Heisman numbers, It'd be hard to give it to him, too, just because they've lost either two or three games now. So, yeah, you're right. I, I, I see your point about that, about him kind of being a front runner in that regard. But I don't know. It's going to be interesting. I know you like to talk about the uh, Alabama receiver uh, yet to be named. We could still be looking at that in this scenario, too. Uh, yeah, I don't know about that because Mechie's honestly looking. Uh, I think it was Gary Danielson made a pretty good point in the in the in when they lost to Texas A&M the other week. He said, yeah, like, Mechie looked a lot better, and not surprisingly so, but he looked a lot better last year when he was getting the third best cover guy because he yeah. had to contend with Devontae Smith and Jalen Waddle. So now that he's kind of drawn the, their best, the defense's best guy, he, he, you know, isn't quite living up to a wide receiver one kind of status. But just want to throw that out there. Jordan Davis should at least <laughs> get a ticket to New York, just saying. Like, I know they're never going to give it to him because they're just never going to give it to the defensive player, but – and on the one hand, I think what makes the Georgia defense so good is that they have just so many good guys. Like, in general, a Heisman has to be, like, by far the best player on his own team, or at least his own unit anyway, which, yes, Jordan Davis is, but he doesn't even play third downs because Devontae Wyatt comes in and is really good. So, you know, it's hard to 
Just give it to the whole defense. I'd be all right yeah. for that. And, you know, if, if they're not going to give it to, what is it, 2018, 2019, Chase Young, then I, you'd be hard-pressed to give it to any other defensive player, I think. Yeah. So elsewhere, I know we talked a little bit about um, Alabama. They take care of business against Mississippi State. Bounce back win, as everybody saw coming. Nick Saban doesn't lose two in a row. Um, heck, he really doesn't lose two in a season all that often. Um, but elsewhere in the SEC, there were some upsets. And Lathe has, has edited my show notes here as I called Auburn winning against Arkansas an upset. He said, no, not an upset. They beat number 17 Arkansas 38-23. to Again, I was at the Georgia-Kentucky game this week, so basically anything going on in the afternoon I didn't catch, but I was keeping an eye on the out-of-town scores and the scoreboard inside the stadium. Um, I was a little annoyed. I picked Arkansas to win. I had a little bit of money where my mouth was, and it didn't come through. But Lath, uh, briefly, because nobody really gives too much of a crap about Auburn, but right. what uh, what'd you see from your Tigers, though? Well, I got I to gotta say, I expect more from you, man. Going in, you betted against us, against LSU. You saw us play against Georgia, and while we weren't impressive, I think it'd be pretty obvious to say that we are more impressive than Arkansas. I mean, this is our sixth straight win against the Hogs. I think, I think that's a pretty bad move by you, I think, in my opinion. <laughs> well, I still went three and two on the week, so. Oh, okay. But I took I took Arkansas because I was really impressed by that Ole Miss performance, even in a loss. Um, yeah. Well, but now I just really don't know what to make of them because that's a a couple good performances against A and M and Ole Miss, and then a couple bad ones against Georgia and Auburn. So. Yeah, it looks like the defense is really lacking. You know, it's normally in years past it's been the other way around. Arkansas has not had an offense, but now I kind of see the offense. The running game's all right. But I don't know. It's going to be interesting. I'm really excited for the Auburn uh, Ole Miss game because that that's a matchup that previously I would have thought there was no chance for us. I I don't know. It may be a little bit more interesting than we think. And here I am jinxing them again before it happens. But we'll see. We will see. Another thing we'll have to see is who's going to take over the reins next season down in Baton Rouge as LSU, despite getting a win over number 20 Florida at home in Death Valley, Comes out later this weekend. They've announced that they will be parting ways with Coach Ed Orgeron after the season. We'll be paying his full $17 million buyout to make him go away. And I know in previous pods we talked about how short Coach O's leash was at this point and when we thought he would go. Because I think basically after that Kentucky loss, nobody really had any doubt at some point he would. Except I am really surprised it came this early. A, a bit off of a big win like I, that may be the first that's the first time I can remember a coach for again it's not like he's gone immediately he's going to coach the rest of the season but for all intents and purposes coach got fired after a big win you don't really see that happen um, at least not that I can that I can recall but I figured it was going to take yeah you know, I figured they would lose to Florida I think they've got Ole Miss later on their schedule they've got Bama I figured it was going to take a few more of those losses before any announcement came out but no they jumped the gun and and you know, announced that he's gone after Florida, which brings the question to me. That just makes it so obvious that this is a little more than just football reasons to get him out of here. Um, I know there's a lot of reports about kind of stuff going on behind the scenes. I'm curious, kind of, what you thought about that, Lather? How much you even know about it? Yeah, I, I saw some of that stuff about him, his dating life, getting in, interfering with practice and kind of stuff like that. So that really makes me think that this was something that was kind of in the works already and they were just kind of dealing with him because he's brought that uh, brought the championship to him two years ago um but you know it's it's interesting i know they've already had a, a recruit decommit because he said he was committed to lsu for the main reason being uh coach orgeron and you know we talked about it a little bit last week he's a culture guy he's a guy that really recruits want to play for him uh kids want to play for him but I don't know. I think when it came down to it, they kind of really analyzed what he was doing as a coach and then weighing that with kind of the off-field or the reported off-field problems, I feel like that was probably enough in their mind to get it done. Yeah, because, again, I was listening to Feinbaum after this, and they he got somebody on the, on the call made up a good point, which is pretty rare for that show, honestly. <laughs> somebody calls in and makes a good point. But um, it's it's not like none of this was probably going on at least way behind the scenes, like on that national championship year. But man, when you're winning, you can like, it cleans up everything for, for better, for worse, right or wrong, you know, it may not be morally correct, but winning fixes everything. And as soon as you're not like that opens the door for what maybe wasn't the biggest of deals talking about a girlfriend being at practice or, or like the, the 
pictures that get leaked on the internet of him doing stuff that's not illegal. It's just a little creepy, maybe, but, like, certainly nothing inherently, like, wrong with it. But, like, when you're not winning, man, all that stuff suddenly comes to the forefront, and it was it was enough to get him out. But now the question is, and, again, I, I honestly think if you're them, if you're going to fire him, you might as well just get him out the door already. Like, I don't see what good it does for the morale of that team to – because, like, what kind of respect does he command in a locker room from some of these guys who know he's gone? And if, and if you, like, if, if I'm a player and I know I'm about to outlive my coach at this team, you know, like, I'm not sure how seriously I'd be taking his word, but we'll we'll see how they go through the rest of the year and in some tough matches, matchups too as well. But I want to put it to you, Leif. There actually really hasn't been a ton of news yet as it being so fresh. Um, a ton of news about who potentially would be on the market to replace him, but... You know, it's LSU. They're going to try to go big. They tried to get Jimbo um, when he left Florida State. They tried to get Tom Herman, which ended up being probably a, a, a bullet dodged for them. <laughs> um, but just potential bigger names that are out there, Lane Kiffin, Billy Napier out of uh, you know Louisiana Lafayette, probably more of a mid-sized name, but for people down in the South who, who know football have seen the work he's done over there. And then James Franklin is a name I thought about that I think would be a really prudent move for them if they could lure him away from Penn State. But, you know, is there any guys that – and, again, this is all just speculation, but any names other than those or maybe one of those that you think really jumps out to you as being a guy that could take that spot? Uh, another name I would throw in there is just Joe Brady. You know, he, he was really kind of the architect of that LSU offense that got him and won the uh, national championship two years ago. Now he's two years removed and having some success as an offensive coordinator – with the Panthers. So it may be a situation where he feels like it's too soon for him, but I wouldn't be shocked if we start to see some rumors that they're maybe calling him and wanting him to get in touch with running that program. Uh, it's funny. I actually saw that, you know, that people always throw Urban Meyer's name around anytime a big college job opens up. And if this spell with the Jaguars doesn't end the way he wants it to, then I could see him looking for that kind of outlet. But given that the, the issues reportedly lie with women for, Coach Orgeron, it'd be it'd be interesting to see if they would entertain taking on Urban Meyer, giving his yeah. recent uh, <laughs> recent actions. Yeah, it's kind of a like for like substitution there. Oh um, yeah, but yeah, Urban. I just don't think the timelines are going to line up for him because he's at least going to have another year in Jacksonville. I mean, pending some more off the field stuff and even more losing. But I think when he signed on, he had to have been given because like that Jacksonville team was not good. And yeah, you get a number yeah. one pick and whatever, but. I think he was signed on for like a minimum two years. You got to give him a chance to see if the quarterback he drafted number one could do something for him. So, and obviously LSU is going to be trying to fill this position, you know, ahead of next season. Um, but yeah, I don't know. You know, Joe Brady, I just worry that like, and again, I'm not super plugged into the LSU program and I saw what they did a couple of years ago in route to a national championship, you know, from afar, went to a couple of those games, but I don't, didn't know the ins and outs of what made them so good. But that really, especially now, kind of felt like such a one-off thing. And something about the situation tells me that Joe Brady would kind of realize, like, hey, that was lightning in a bottle. It was great. But, like, I don't think even I could go back there and replicate that. Like, that took a really special set of circumstances. And I don't know, something about it, if I were him, I think I'd stay away and just keep sticking around in the NFL for a few years and see if it – because a head coaching job always comes open in the NFL. Like, two or – it seems like two, sometimes even three a year come open. So – um, if he can if he can get something going with the Panthers, then then you know he could do better. But LSU will definitely push the boat out in terms of money for whoever comes in next for sure. Um, we'll just see if that's enough to lure anybody pretty good. But speaking of the Panthers in the NFL, let's go talk some. Uh, the show notes still say Week Four, but I think we're into this past week was Week Six, yeah, I believe. I think it is six. Um, so. You finally made an addition to the pre-show notes, like, for once. I was actually kind of – I don't know why I was thinking about this today, but I was uh, just at work kind of thinking about what our titles would be if this was, like – if this had, like, credits. I was like, I would definitely be – like, I wouldn't – you're definitely a producer as well, but I I wouldn't call you a co-producer because I I think I'd go executive and your assistant because, again, I think this is the first actual time you've ever – maybe a couple times you've added a topic to the thing. So uh, go ahead. You want to talk – Zach Ertz traded to the Cardinals. What you got there? Well, to be fair, I usually go in to add some stuff, and it's already over there. So, so good, so good job on that. But um, yeah, Zach Ertz going to the Cardinals. This was something I thought was really interesting, and it warranted being brought up just because 
you know, it's clear to see at this point, the Eagles know that they're in that rebuilding stage. I think they know that even with Hertz, a QB, he's not the main guy going forward. And they're, they, you know, they've, they've opened up $21 million in cap space, which I believe is the biggest amongst all NFL teams going into next year. So it was easy to see why they made this trade. But uh, the Cardinals bringing in like a weapon like Ertz, you know, when, when you got a guy like Cliff Kingsbury who really likes the more of a 20 personnel kind of spread out scheme, bringing in a tight end like this, I think this is just them realizing that that's kind of the recipe uh, to win a Super Bowl. You know, they had Gronk, obviously he's a little older last year, but he contributed a lot to that Tampa Bay team. Uh, Kelsey's obviously a big part of the Chiefs' success, and the same with Kittle when he's healthy was part of the reason that the uh, the San Francisco was able to to make it to a Super Bowl two or three years ago. And the same you can say about Ertz when he was with the Eagles, the way they were able to knock off New England. You got to have that kind of elite tight end play uh, to be successful and go deep in the playoffs. It seems that seems to be the blueprint for for success. So I think this is a move that. Uh, can be considered really strategic in nature by what the Cardinals are trying to do over there. They may not need, seem like they need him at this point, but I think it's someone that they realize that they might want to lean into going forward as this season progresses. I'd be interested to hear what your thoughts on are that. Yeah, well, they're obviously in, you know, buy mode. Like they're six and zero. They're thinking, okay, this is this is our chance. This is our our, our best chance at a Super Bowl. And you know, since Kurt Warner was there, so. You're right. Do they need him? No, probably not. But again, when you're trying to make a Super Bowl push, it's not about needs. It's like, how can we get even even better? Because my initial reaction to this trade was like, wow, because I'm a DeAndre Hopkins fantasy owner, so I was kind of pissed <laughs> off because there's already so many guys getting targets and getting catches in that Arizona offense. I mean, Rondell Moore has been, you know, quietly, if not for Jamar Chase, would have been making a quiet push for Offensive Rookie of the Year at this point. Then obviously DeAndre Hopkins, who, when he gets his targets, can be the best receiver in the league. Got AJ Green, who was added, who's honestly had a bit more of an impact on that offense than I think a lot of people expected at his age. Um, you know, so got a, a, a few backs back there. I know uh, Edmonds and I think uh, James Connor. James Connor, yeah, came in from Pittsburgh. So, like, they're basically building their own fantasy team at this point. And under Kyler Murray, I mean, they're putting up more points than just about anybody, you know, maybe other than the Bills. But yeah, I mean, this makes them better. Um, that's for sure, you know. So. And again, when when you're the Cardinals that are sitting there at six and zero, you're not trying to fix obvious holes. It becomes you know what's a small way we can get better because that can often be the difference you know in winning a Super Bowl. So that's definitely you know it brings the analogy of baseball teams at the trade deadline. Basically, at a certain point in the season, you kind of figure out, hey, are we buyers or are we sellers this year? Like, are we going to have to rebuild this next year or is this our year to push for it? And the Cardinals obviously know this is their year to try to make a push. Um, and they, you know, they kept it going this week in a surprising blowout against my Browns. Um, go into Cleveland, beat them thirty-seven to fourteen. I know you got Baker's injury written on here. It looked a whole lot worse than it was. I think. I mean, he was kind of kicking and, and rolling on the ground, but he ended up coming back in the game. But really, didn't matter either way. Just got it handed to him by the Cardinals. And the scoreline, as bad as it is, should have been worse. One of those touchdowns was a hail mary at the end of the first half. That if that doesn't happen, you know, the Browns don't even get over ten points. But um, between that, you also got the Chargers getting beat down at the Ravens, thirty-four to six. I don't think anybody saw that coming. Um, those are basically, I think, easily the two biggest surprising score lines from the past weekend. I guess, like my question for you is, which of those means more? I guess in terms of postseason and and down the line projections about where these four teams are. Uh, in my opinion, I think that the Cardinals uh, beating Cleveland pretty bad means a little bit more. Uh, just because Cleveland's a team that really cuts their teeth on their defense, that's a tough unit. Um, and then the Cardinals' defense against the Cleveland, being able to hold them to 14 with that powerful running game that they have, I think is pretty impressive. So I think that that's kind of a, 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 ser- a scenario where we look at that and say, yeah, the Cardinals are who we thought they were, and I think that that's really what you can take from that. Yeah, I don't think there's any question that the Cardinals are are legit. And, you know, I hesitate to call them the best team in the league, but you you definitely would have to make an argument that they're not. I mean, they're the only perfect team left. But Cleveland was missing Nick Chubb, which I know that he's a huge part of their offense, but also Kareem Hunt has been more than admirable. As I hesitate to even call him a backup because they split carries pretty evenly. Um, but, yeah, big win for the Cards. But as much as I hate to really give too much credit to the Ravens here, I don't know why. I guess it's because of my subtle Brown fandom that I don't like the Ravens, but 
I think this says a lot about them, man. Like two or three weeks ago, just you know, t- needing the longest field goal in NFL history to beat the Lions, you know, and then they struggled and lost to a Raiders team that now has looked like a solid potential playoff team. But at the time, I was like, I'm uh, not sure how how good that's going to look in a few weeks if the Raiders, you know, lose some more games. But that's a big. I mean, the Chargers, other than the Bills, were the hottest team in the NFL coming into this game, having beaten the Chiefs, beaten the Browns. You know, having a really good start to the season, and the Ravens just handle them, thirty-four to six. Now, a lot of the reason that scoreline ended up uglier than it could have been was the Chargers, kind of in the third and fourth quarter, going for it on fourth down inside their own territory, like well inside their own territory. I think they did it at the nineteen-yard line at one point. Um, which you know, you do what you got to do to get back into a game. But you know, if anybody had a had a teaser on the Chargers, which hint hint, I did. So uh, the the big blowout was not was not work lucky for me. But I think it says a lot about this Ravens team. Like I know we kind of hinted at and sarcastically maybe even talked about are the Ravens making a case for the best team in the AFC? And I think they definitely are behind the Bills. But I would love to see that matchup in the playoffs because I think you know that's that would be. I think the Ravens are. Again, I don't want to say better than a lot of people thought, but they're better than I thought. I, I, I guess at this point I have to begrudgingly give them some credit here. Yeah, my, my only argument against that would be that the Chargers are a team that really haven't – you know, they throw the ball well, but there's always been some questions about their running game, and we really saw that as a weakness in this game. I think they only had like 25, 26 yards or something Oh, I know. Like I got Eckler on my fantasy team. Too, oh, <laughs> so. <laughs> so you know well. But, uh, yeah, that that's the only thing that I would take from this and say – there's a weakness in that Chargers team, and the Ravens exploited it. It would be interesting to see if they could do the same thing against a really good Bills team. Yeah. Elsewhere, uh, big, a pretty good one last night slash yesterday afternoon. Cowboys winning in overtime in New England. I think it was like something over 590 yards of total offense, which is the most allowed by the Patriots under Bill Belichick. So whatever that is, I mean, that's almost 20 years, I think, at this point. Um so we're talking about Ravens, talking about Cardinals, talking about Bills in terms of Super Bowl contenders. Where do the Cowboys rank for you in this offense? Uh, yeah. Um, look, it's weird because I always forget about the Cowboys because, you know, for the past couple of years, you really don't think of them as Super Bowl contenders or challengers as much as people would like that. Um, but, yeah, this is a team, their offense has been crazy for a while. Getting Dak back was really the icing on the cake. You know, the, the receiving options there are just ridiculous. Amari uh, Cooper, probably the best route runner in the league. And then you got Gallup and, uh, oh, man, C.D. Yeah, C.D. Lamb there, too. So a lot of offensive firepower for this this Cowboys team. I'd be interesting to see if the defense can take that next step. You know, allowing 29 points to a Patriots team with a rookie QB. It's not terrible, but it's not great. And I, I don't know if that's something that they can carry them really deep in the playoffs. So for me, I think they're a talented team. They're a team to watch. But you want to see a little bit more defensive uh, development as the year progresses. Yeah, I honestly think of this Cowboys team, especially the defense, kind of like the Chiefs defenses from the past couple years. Where I almost said that. that. Off, <laughs> yeah, where that offense is so strong that you don't necessarily need to be great. You just need to come up with some big plays yeah. when you can. And, like, the perfect embodiment of that defense is Trayvon Diggs, the cornerback for the Cowboys, mm. because, I mean, leads the league in interceptions, had a pick six in this game, but also gives up, you know, a 70-yard touchdown pass as well. Like, you know, he, he gives up a lot of plays, but he also makes them as well. And when you have an offense as explosive as the Cowboys, who you can count on to put up 24, 27, 28, sometimes even 30 points, you know, you don't have to shut teams out by any means, but just come up with some key turnovers and some big spots that can – that can put your team in a position to win because the Chiefs, that's been their model the past few years. I mean, you're kind of seeing the the ugly side of it with how bad their defense has been this year. But the Chiefs have been living off of a great offense with just some individual stars on defense making some plays when they need to. And that's been good enough to get them to back-to-back Super Bowl. So we'll see uh, see if the Cowboys can can follow their lead. But you're talking about Cowboys receivers, uh, CeeDee Lamb and Amari Cooper and those guys. Don't sleep on my uh, picked up picked him up in fantasy. Dalton Schultz, tight end, is actually like uh, the number three or four fantasy or fantasy tight end at the moment. Um, he gets quite a few catches. It's been nice for me. But real quick, we actually haven't talked nearly as much fantasy over the past six weeks as I kind of thought we might have when we came up with this podcast. But real quick, want to send out some prayers because it worked the other night when I needed an Eckler Monday Night Miracle. 
Um, your listeners, the few that you are, got me through there, and he had a big game. But I'm needing a Monday night miracle tonight. Here's the situation. Like I've got Zach Moss. I'm up by like a point, basically. And I've got Zach Moss, the Bills running back, who's been solid, not the ideal RB2, but averaging about 12 to 15 points a game. But I'm playing against a guy who has the Bills defense and the Bills kicker. So it's going to come – it's really going to come down to – I feel like if Zach Moss doesn't score, I probably can't win. But if he does, it'll be really close. Yeah, that, that's that's in the other league, right? Yeah. Yeah, oh, you don't want, you don't want to talk about our league? <laughs> what do you need this Well, week? I don't know. I think, I think <laughs> I won. I don't know, though. Hey, I mean uh, – Yeah, I don't, I don't have it with me. Here it is. Yeah, you're. Oh uh, no, no. <laughs> you're taking well, last I checked, like week. early Sunday, I thought I was doing all right. But uh, but uh, my team, I, I got to get at least 34 out of Josh Allen and Diggs tonight, so it's attainable. But I don't know. Going to need a pretty decent game from the Bills. Yeah, me, me as well. All right, we're going to take a quick break, and when we come back, real fast, run through some soccer headlines as club football was back this week before we send you off into the Monday night football action. All right, welcome back into part two of the show where we switch things across the pond, talk a little soccer before we get out of here. Um, Clubs are back from international break this week, so we finally have some picks to recap and we have some more picks to make. We didn't forget the football ones. I just think uh, having tested out, I think it's just kind of best to do all the picks at the end, but Recapping what was a, a big week of club action. Big rebound win for Bayern, as we both predicted, as they handle Bayer Leverkusen and secure, once again, the top spot. Or I guess I guess they were already number one in the Bundesliga, but just really separating themselves. Um, Leith, I know you watched that game. What did you see from your Bavarian boys there? Yeah, looked good. Always like to come back strong after an international break. 5-1 win. Uh, the last goal was just kind of a mental error by Lucas Hernandez, so I didn't take too much from that. But the defense looks really good. The pressing, you know, last year the pressing was kind of wild with Bayern. It would get us into some trouble sometimes. This pressing is a lot more monitored by Nagelsmann. It's more of a smart press approach. So being able to kind of mix that in, have a strong defense and a, obviously a strong offensive showing was good to see. Uh, and also, I know Lewandowski scored two goals, but it's a team that's been relying a lot less on him to kind of be the goal scorer. Uh, you saw two goals from Navri in this game, and, you know, just – Luis Sané has been pitching in in some instances. Musiala when he gets out there. So a lot more variety from Bayern Munich this year, which is really fun for me to see. Yeah, Arsenal, uh, my team cannot. He said, nice to get a big 5-1 win coming out of your national break. I would have taken <laughs> uh, I'd have taken 1-1, but Arsenal snatches a draw from the jaws of defeat at home against Crystal Palace after um, taking an early, early lead with an Aubameyang rebound goal. Um, proceed to Arsenal, gonna Arsenal early in the second half, conceding and then conceding another one, I think in about the 60th minute. But Alexander Lacazette, kind of some FIFA aids in the box, literally with the last kick of the game, he scores off of kind of a scrum, um, which, you know, yes, it's an ugly goal, but it was a goal I was actually really satisfied with seeing from Arsenal because that's a goal we never score like that. Like teams like Burnley and Brighton and Norwich and Sheffield and all those kind of lower to mid-tier English teams like live off those kind of goals because they don't really have the technical ability to score you know the tiki-taka style or you know a banger from 30 yards like some of these other teams but you can get a lot of goals by just putting it in the box and seeing what happens um so I was really glad to see us kind of finally get one like that and again it was literally with the last kick of the game so uh honestly I think if you're a Palace fan you're a little upset that probably the whistle didn't get blown a little earlier because you know four minutes at a time we're well into the 94th or I, yeah i guess yeah that would be the the 95th minute at that point um when the corner was taken it gets headed out and referee mike dean let uh nicholas pepe run back out and get one final cross in and that's what led to the goal so that was that was nice but uh yeah two two draw against palace not really got outplayed on our home turf by this palace team which a credit to patrick Vieira, new manager over there for for coming up with a good game plan and they definitely deserve to win the game and weren't able to, so hopefully, hopefully Arsenal can can get right. Although I don't know how they can get much more right. They just had two weeks of international break to try to do it. <laughs> but anyway, elsewhere in the Premier League, Manchester United beaten four to two by Leicester in what was a wild game. I didn't see it, but just kind of keeping up with the score lines, lead changed a handful of times. 
Um, at one point, United looked like they had it. Then Leicester take a late lead, then double that lead. So, you know, good result for the Foxes there. And then over in Serie A, Lazio beat Inter. I know that's a game we picked. I don't think that's a result that I ever has picked there. I think I had draw and you had Inter win, but pretty wild game where Lazio gets a red card and still ends up winning 3-1. Mm-hmm. And then Juve, don't want to ring my own bell here, but called this scoreline exactly. Juve beat Roma 1-0. Classic Serie A matchup, low scoring, but the better team prevailing there. But the real storylines this week, match day three of the UEFA Champions League kicks off tomorrow and followed by another day on Wednesday. And looking at the schedule ahead this week, basically all the really good matchups um, coming, up, coming up tomorrow. Battle at the top of Group B, Atletico host Liverpool. See if one of these teams can kind of take a stranglehold for the top spot in that group. We all basically expecting them both to go through, but that is the group of death we identified at the beginning of the tournament with Milan and Porto in there as well. But who are you backing uh, without an official pick? Because we got that at the end. But, you know, act like you're calling, calling the game letter. Without an official pick, what are you kind of looking to see from, from what I think is the top game of the Champions League this week? Yeah, uh, I don't know. That Liverpool team, that offense right now is really firing on all cylinders. Um, it, it'll be interesting because I don't think Atleti's been playing too bad. But, they, I don't know, that's just a lot of firepower that they're going to have to stop Granted, with the home field advantage this game. Yeah, Liverpool uh, Liverpool coming off a, I think it was a 5-0 win yeah. uh, in the league this past weekend. Then elsewhere, Ajax and Dortmund again. Battle of the top two teams in their group as well. Although, I think they're tied on six points and just by far and away ahead of the bottom two. So, no real worry about who's going to go through. It's just a matter of who goes through on top. I know... You're not too much of a Dortmund guy, but as a Bundesliga guy, but you also have a soft spot for Ajax. I'm just curious, you know, not sure what kind of team Ajax has this year, but this looks like a spot where, you know, they Dortmund has Erling Holland and Giorena and the likes of some really strong, really strong talent. But if they want to kind of stake their claim as a real contender um, for the for the sharp end of this tournament coming up in a few months, I think this is kind of a a big statement game to make to you know make their case and, and cement their spot as the number one team in that group. Yeah, I agree. And I think this is a, a weaker Ajax team than we're used to seeing. You know, all the young gems have since been sold off. So there's a few of them that have still stuck around, but the Dortmund team is looking really talented, and they're really starting to mesh well lately, especially Jude Bellingham. He's really impressive. So uh, I don't know. I think that's a pretty good one for them. Yeah, but then the one I'm going to keep the closest eye on because I'm just really invested in this in this Sheriff team, the Moldovan <laughs> Giants. Enter host Sheriff in a game that could go a long way toward a knockout bid for the plucky underdogs here, Laith. I know we talked about several pods ago what would kind of have to happen slash do you believe that after two wins in the Champions League, how strong, you know, the can Sheriff actually make it to the knockout stages? And I think at this point, this is their final, you know, match day three is the is the final round of the first round, Robin, if that makes sense. Like, at this point, every team in every group will have played each other at least once. They'll have to do the reverse again, you know, playing who you played at home, play them away, and vice versa. But Sheriff knocking out all the most difficult games in their first three. They've already gone to Real Madrid and beat them at the Bernabeu. Now they go to Inter. Inter, again, wallowing at the bottom of that group at this point. I think this is a must-win for Inter. And if you're Sheriff, if you can somehow get a draw from here, I think their chances of going through almost solidified with a game against Shakhtar and then hosting Real Madrid later. Yeah, and this would really be a death punch to Inter. You know, the stage is set. Inter has been struggling. Sheriff, can they come off of the hangover from the last game? And can the Sheriffs get back into the office and get ready to go? So it's going to be a fun one to look at. And I I really – I hope they could pull it off just because the Sheriff team, it's fun to watch them and it's fun to see them kind of compete. But you're right, Inter's really, it's really kind of a desperation game for them. Yeah, I, again, I have soft Inter leanings, but I'm kind of rooting for Sheriff here at this point. Because, <laughs> I mean, Inter, they'd be lucky to go through, I think. And even if they do, they're getting beat by whoever they play in the first round of the knockout. So, come on, you Sheriffs, I guess. I don't I don't think you could be the Sheriff Sheriffs. I don't know what their mascot would be necessarily, but who knows. <laughs> anyway, there's also matches on Wednesday, but that slate isn't really as good. So with that, let's get into the picks before we send you off into the Monday night 
Starting with soccer, Liverpool at Atleti, the big game in the UCL we talked about coming up tomorrow. My Wi-Fi is kind of jacked up late, so I can't see your picks. It's acting like you haven't updated it, but I'm assuming you have. I'll go ahead and say Liverpool at Atleti. Liverpool got a – they have a tough matchup against Manchester United coming up at the weekend. Kind of a Manchester City situation a couple weeks ago when they had Liverpool in the league sandwiched you know, with the PSG UCL game and then a trip to Chelsea. I think it's going to be tough for Liverpool to kind of keep that focus, you know, amidst a bunch of tough fixtures, but I like him to get a draw um, in Spain. See, I think that Liverpool offense, I alluded to it before a little bit, is just crazy, the attack. So I'm going with Liverpool getting this one done 2-1. All right, and then doubling up on Liverpool this week, they get travel to Old Trafford to take on Manchester United, who's looking for a bounce-back win after a loss to Leicester. I think here's the one that I think Liverpool does get the job done at. 2-1 to Liverpool, I think, this week after, you know, what'll be a I guess will be a rebound game if if they do draw against Atletico midweek. Yeah, um, I'm thinking this one's gonna be a draw two two. Uh, you know, Ola, Ola always gets in this spot where for a while it looks bad. It looks like he's uh, he's gonna get sacked and then he kinda turns things around for a few weeks. So I'm thinking that this will kinda be the start of kind of picking things up for them and they'll get it started with a draw. Yeah, bit of a yo-yo manager, yeah, kind of. Yeah. Um, might be time for them to start coming back up. And then lastly, it's not the game it has been in previous years, but it still only happens twice a year, so we gotta got to focus on it when it does. And it will be actually be watchable for us this time late. For years, it's been on networks that we don't have, but now on ESPN+. Plus, El Clasico, Real Madrid at Barcelona. Again, neither side in a spot that they you know want to be in at this point in the season but I like the spot Real Madrid's in a lot better than Barcelona I think they get a win 2-1 yeah I think Real Madrid is just a better team by far Barca really struggling especially defensively Real Madrid gets this one done 2-0 all right and then recapping uh, the week of football coming up starting in college again Kind of a quiet week last week and another one really this week as well, but that gives us a chance to pick some slightly different games like we did last week, although we were both wrong about Boston College, so shout out to the uh, the Golden Eagles. But first game up here, number 14, Coastal Carolina, undefeated, traveling to the mountains up in Boone, facing App State. App State plus three and a half underdogs. I like the Chanticleers. I think they win big. I'm actually probably going to take this game on the uh, on the old spread as well. I like Coastal 48 to 32. Yeah, I think the Coastal Carolina really good. You know, he kind of instilled the culture of them last year and now everybody wants them. So, App State a team that's traditionally pretty well. I think they'll give them a little bit of a run for their money early on, but I think they pull away 34-21. Yeah. Plus I've uh, had a beer with Grayson McCall in Athens before, so oh, shout cool. out to the clears there. So <laughs> next up, number eight, Oklahoma State at Iowa State. Iowa State again, somehow seven point favorites. That's that's a really fishy line. It makes me think there's some sort of I don't know, murder indictment or, you know, assault case that's gonna get dropped in the newspapers here tomorrow that we just don't know about yet for Oklahoma State starting running back or something. But um, I I got to go with the Pokes here. I think I think they win. Um, it certainly cover that number. Obviously, I think Oklahoma State wins twenty seven twenty four. Yeah, you know, I was sleeping on OK State early this year, but I think their defense is at least more real than I had thought it was. So I think uh, Oklahoma State gets one, and and Iowa State's pretty spotty as well. So I say Oklahoma State gets this one done thirty five twenty four. And then lastly. Can't say Coach O's playing for his job anymore, so I'm not really sure what LSU is playing for at this point. But they travel to Oxford to take on number 12, Ole Miss. Rebels are 10.5-point favorites. I think it's just about right on that line. I think Ole Miss wins 45-28. Yeah, a lot of offense this game. I think if you were to take the over, you'd take it here. Uh, 45-31 Ole Miss. All right, that wraps up our college football picks. And lastly, in the NFL, big week coming up, Chiefs at Titans. Titans plus four underdogs at home. I think, uh, you know, we'll see kind of what the Titans – I think a lot of this a lot of this matchup next week will be influenced by what happens tonight when they play the Bills. But without that knowledge, I think the Chiefs get it done 28-24 on the road. Yeah, Chiefs been taking a lot of flack the couple weeks being a weak team. Uh, I think they kind of get some things right this game. They win 38-28. Next up, Bengals at Ravens. 
I wouldn't have thought I'd said this, but the team, the two teams with the best record in the AFC North going at it in Baltimore, the Ravens are six-and-a-half-point favorites at home. I like what I've seen from the Bengals so far this season. A couple of tough losses that probably should have got a win um, against the Packers a couple of weeks ago, but they respond in, in big fashion with a win last week. I think they keep it relatively close, but the Ravens ultimately get a win. I like the Ravens 32-27. You know, I had the Ravens here, but I really like this Bengals team, so I'm going to flip my pick. I think that the Bengals get it done. Pick flip. Yeah, (laughs) they get it done 31-28. First one of the year. All right. So you're keeping the same score you had for the Ravens, but just opposite opposite sides. All right. And then lastly, another – I kind of hate throwing Monday night games in this because I like knowing where we stand when we record on Monday nights, but – it's the next best game here next week is next Monday, Saints at Seahawks. Saints coming off a of bye week. Seahawks, again, heading into what will be a second full week without Russell Wilson as he recovers from that hand injury. Seahawks, three-and-a-half-point home underdogs, which normally I love a good home dog, but I just can't trust Geno Smith. I think the Saints win a close one, 27-22. Yeah, Geno Smith, can't trust him. You're right. I, I don't think he does much with this offense. Uh yeah, Saints get this dub, 27-21. All right. Well, thanks again for listening, as always. And real quick, just want to update the uh, season pick'em standings here. Oh, we don't have before, to do that. Uh, <laughs> not going to let you get off the hook that easily. You know, if you're if you're coming into the podcast, skipping all the way in just to listen to the picks, again, you're probably not making a whole lot of money this week, especially not tailing Lath. But in soccer, I've got a nice lead, 10-5 and five on the year, which, again, I reiterate, in a in – a, scenario where you're picking between three results 10 and 5 like that's a really solid record so pat myself on the back a bit there Lath wallowing below 500 at 7 and 8 <laughs> and in college football I'm a nice 12 and 6 again double twice as many wins as losses Lath a paltry 9 and 9 looking for a big week this week and then in NFL both of us don't really have anything to hang our hat on at least I'm slightly better at 8 and 9 than you're 7 and 10 but that's enough of that we got about three minutes before well, I was about to say Mike Gruden, or not Mike, excuse me, Mike Tarico or John Gruden lead us into Monday Night Football, but they haven't been doing Monday Night Football in for like 10 years. So <laughs> getting ready to watch that, though. Pray for a Monday Night Miracle for the boys here. Thanks for joining us.